Section 12 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Cantoni. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1, Mammals, by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. Other Wildcats. A handsome, leopard-like animal is the clouded leopard. It is the size of a small common leopard, but far gentler in disposition. Its fur is not spotted, but marked with clouded patches, outlined in gray and olive-brown. Its skin is among the most beautiful of the cats. It is found in the Malay Peninsula, Borneo, Sumatra, Formosa, and along the foot of the Himalaya, from Nepal to Assam. Writing of two which he kept, Sir Stamford Raffles said, No kitten could be more good-tempered. They were always courting intercourse with persons passing by, and in the expression of their countenance showed the greatest delight when noticed, throwing themselves on their backs and delighting in being tickled and rubbed. On board ship there was a small dog, which used to play around the cage with the animal. It was amusing to watch the tenderness and playfulness with which the latter came in contact with its smaller-sized companion. Both specimens were procured from the banks of the Benkulin River in Sumatra. They are generally found near villages and are not dreaded by the natives, except in so far that they destroy their poultry. The number of smaller leopard cats and tiger cats is very great. They fall, roughly, into three groups those which are yellow and spotted, those which are gray and spotted, and those which are gray and striped, or whole-colored. There is no wholly gray wildcat, but several sandy-colored species. All live on birds and small mammals, and probably most share the tame cat's liking for fish. Among the gray and spotted cats are the mottled cat of the eastern Himalaya and strait settlements and islands, the Tibetan tiger cat, the fishing cat of India and Ceylon, which is large enough to kill lambs, but lives much on fish and large marsh snails, Jeffrey's cat, an American species, the leopard cat of Java and Japan, which seems to have gray fur in Japan and a fulvous leopard-like skin in India, where it is also called the tiger cat, and the smallest of all wild cats, the little rusty-spotted cat of India. This has rusty spots on a gray ground. I had a kitten brought to me, says Dr. Jordan of the species, when very young. It became quite tame and was the delight and admiration of all who saw it. When it was about eight months old, I introduced the fawn of a gazelle into the room where it was. The little creature flew at it the minute it saw it, seized it by the nape of the neck, and was with difficulty taken off. Of the whole-colored wildcats, which include the bay cat, the American pompous cat, Pallas's cat of Tibet and India, the most beautiful is the golden cat of Sumatra, one of which is now in the zoological gardens. It has a coat the color of gold stone. The nose is pink, the eyes large and topaz-colored, the cheeks striped with white, and the underparts and lower part of the tail pure white. Four kinds of wildcats are known in South Africa, 
of which the largest is the serval, a short-tailed spotted animal with rather more woolly fur than the leopards. The length is about four feet two inches, of which the tail is only twelve inches. It is found from Algeria to the Cape, but its favorite haunts, like those of all the wild cats of hot countries, are in the reeds by rivers. It kills hares, rats, birds, and small mammals generally. The black-footed wildcat is another African species. It is a beautiful spotted and lined tabby, the size of a small domestic cat, and as likely as any other to be the origin of our tabby variety if tame cats came to Europe from Africa. At present, it is only found south in the Kalahari Desert and Bekuana land. The Kafir cat is the common wild cat of the Cape Colony and a very interesting animal. It is a whole-colored, tawny, upstanding animal with all the indifference to man and generally independent character of the domestic tomcat. It is, however, much stronger than the tame cats, with which it interbreeds freely. In the colony, it is often difficult to keep male tame cats, for the wild kaffir cats come down and fight them in the breeding season. The Egyptian cat is really the same animal, slightly modified by climate. A very distinct species is the jungle cat, ranging from India through Baluchistan, Syria, and East Africa, and called in Hindustani the chaus. The European striped wildcat extends to the Himalaya, where the range of the lion-colored yellow-eyed chaus begins. The chaus has a few black bars inside the legs, which vary in different regions. The Indian chaus has only one distinctly marked. The kaffir cat has four or five. The Egyptian fettered cat has been said to be the origin of the domestic and sacred cats of Egypt. A male chouse is most formidable when cornered. General Hamilton chased one, which had prowled into the cantonments on the lookout for fowls, into a fence. After a long time, I spied the cat squatting in a hedge, he writes, and called for the dogs. When they came, I knelt down and began clapping my hands and cheering them on. The cat suddenly made a clean spring at my face. I had just time to catch it, as one would a cricket ball, and, giving its ribs a strong squeeze, threw it to the dogs, but not before it had made its teeth meet in my arm just above the wrist. For some weeks I had to carry my arm in a sling, and I shall carry the marks of the bite to my grave. The chouse, as will be seen from the above, wanders boldly down into the outskirts of large towns, cantonments, and bungalows, on the lookout for chickens and pigeons. Its favorite plan is to lie up at dawn in some piece of thick cover near to where the poultry wander out to scratch, feed, and bask. It then pounces on the nearest unhappy hen and rushes off with it into cover. An acquaintance of the writer once had a number of fine Indian game fowl, of which he was not a little proud. He noticed that one was missing every morning for three days, and, not being able to discover the robber, shut them up in a henhouse. Next morning, he heard a great commotion outside, and one of his bearers came running in to say that a leopard was in the henhouse. As this was only built of bamboo or some such light material, it did not seem probable that a leopard would stay there. Getting his rifle, he went out into the compound and cautiously approached the henhouse, 
in which the fowls were still making loud protests and cries of alarm. The door was shut, but some creature, certainly not a leopard, might have squeezed in through the small entrance used by the hens. He opened the door and saw at the back of the henhouse a chouse sitting, with all its fur on end, looking almost as large as a small leopard. On the floor was one dead fowl. The impudent jungle cat rushed for the door, but had the coolness to seize the hen as it passed, and with this in its mouth rushed past the owner of the hens, his servants and retainers, and reached a piece of thick scrub near with its prize. As the chouse is common both in India and Africa, a comparison of its habits in both continents is somewhat interesting. Jordan, the Indian naturalist, writes, It is the common wild cat from the Himalaya to Cape Cormoran, and from the level of the sea to 7,000 or 8,000 feet elevation. It frequents alike the jungles and the open country, and is very partial to long reeds and grass, sugarcane fields and cornfields. It does much damage to all game, especially to hares and partridges. Quite recently I shot a peafowl at the edge of a sugarcane field. One of these cats sprang out, seized the peafowl, and after a short struggle, for the bird was not quite dead, carried it off before my astonished eyes, and, in spite of my running up, made his escape with his booty. It must have been stalking these very birds, so closely did its spring follow my shot. It is said to breed twice a year, and to have three or four young at a birth. I have very often had the young brought to me, but always failed in rearing them, and they always showed a savage and untamable disposition. I have seen numbers of cats about villages in various parts of the country that must have been hybrids between this cat and the tame ones. The late Sir Oliver Sinjin was more fortunate with his jungle cat kittens. He obtained three in Persia. These he reared till they were three months old, by which time they became so tame that they would climb onto his knees at breakfast time and behave like ordinary kittens. One was killed by a greyhound and another by a scorpion, a curious fate for a kitten to meet. The survivor then became morose and ill-tempered, but grew to be a large and strong animal. Two English bull terriers of mine, which would make short work of the largest domestic cat, could do nothing against my wild cat, says the same writer. In their almost daily battles, the dogs always got the worst of it. In Africa, the chouse haunts the thick cover bordering the rivers. There it catches not only waterfowl, but also fish. According to Messrs. Nichols and Eglinton, its spore may constantly be seen imprinted on the mud surrounding such pools in the periodical watercourses as are constantly being dried up, and in which fish may probably be imprisoned without chance of escape. The chouse has for neighbor in Africa the beautiful serval, a larger wildcat. This species is reddish in color, spotted on the body, and striped on the legs. The ears are long, but not tufted like those of the lynx. The servile is more common in North and Central Africa than in the South. But it is also found south of the Tropic of Capricorn. Messrs. Nichols and Eglinton say of it, Northward through South Central Africa it is fairly common. 
It frequents the thick bush in the vicinity of rivers. The carosses, or mantles, made from its skins are only worn by the chiefs and very high dignitaries amongst the native tribes, and are in consequence eagerly sought after, on which account the species runs a risk of rapid extermination. Its usual prey consists of the young of the smaller antelopes, francolins, and wild guinea fowls, to the latter of which it is a most destructive enemy in the breeding season. When obtained young, the servile can be tamed with little trouble, but it is difficult to rear and always shows a singular and almost unaccountable aversion to black men. Its otherwise even temper is always aroused at the sight of a native. When in anger, it is by no means a despicable antagonist, and very few dogs would like to engage in a combat with one single-handed. End of section 12 Recording by Linda Cantoni.